It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 851 for the 29th of September, 2023. This week, even basic smartphones can create remarkably good videos, and more people are editing videos at home. As a result, there are lots of applications, both free and paid, designed to take the place of editing suites that once cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to build. In short circuits, new features in Adobe's audio editor Audition are rare, but three improvements in the 2023 version will wow audio editors. Others may wonder why there's such big deals. Aptos is Microsoft's new typeface for Microsoft 365 subscribers, but before going all in on Aptos, it's a good idea to consider some of what Microsoft isn't talking about and thinking about Microsoft's motives. And 20 years ago, only on the website, 2003 was the end of the line for TechX New York, previously called PC Expo. Once a show that filled New York City's Javits Center, the final program was confined to a small corner. Video editing has become a primary growth area for software. Anybody can edit video today, and even the high-end applications aren't prohibitively expensive. Let's see what's out there. Many of the open-source applications run on Windows, Mac OS computers, and Linux, but I'll start with an application that's only for the Mac OS. iMovie is free for Mac OS users, and it's easy to use. If you have a camera that's capable of shooting 4K scenes, iMovie can edit and export them in 4K. The basic features include the ability to add photos, music, and narration. Because of Apple's unified ecosystem, you can start editing on an iPhone or an iPad and then move the project to a Mac computer for completion. The open source community has developed many powerful editors. Before I describe them, let's consider what's meant here by free open source. You're free to download these applications, even the source code. You're free to install them on any number of computers. You're free to edit the source code and add features if you want. You're free to share them. But if you use an open source application a lot, you are also free to contribute to the developers. In fact, I recommend it. Open source developers do deserve to be compensated for their hard work by those who value the applications enough to use them. If your primary goal is to learn about video editing, you don't want to spend a lot, and the trial period for commercial apps is too short, use an open source app at first, and then move to a commercial app if you find that you need to. You might not ever need to, because some of the open source apps will surprise you with their capabilities. Some apps are best for beginners, some are web-based, some run on mobile devices. Here are a few to take a look at, and I'm going to mention them in no particular order. OpenShot is a most capable editor that includes drag-and-drop capabilities, unlimited tracks, keyframe animations, and 3D animated titles and effects. It can also resize, scale, and rotate clips. 
You'll find a link to the OpenShot website and to the websites of all the other applications that I'll be mentioning here on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, www.techbiter.com. Although there is a paid version, the limited free version of DaVinci Resolve includes a lot of powerful features. Color correction capabilities are included and surprisingly robust audio tools. With great power, though, comes great complexity. So those new to video editing probably should consider a more basic app first. Lightworks also has paid versions for $10 to $24 a month, but the free version can be used for an unlimited time and includes a somewhat limited set of features. The most significant problem with the free version is that it's limited to 720p videos. The pro version can also handle videos up to 4K, but, you know, it'd be nice if the free version at least offered 1080p. Shotcut has been around since 2004, and the interface may be a little dated, but the feature set is solid. Its many features include markers, time remapping, and keyframing. The interface is flexible, and the various components can be moved around much as they can be in Adobe Premiere. Instead of being an installable application, ClipChamp, which is owned by Microsoft, is an online browser-based video editor. Although primarily intended for those who are new to video editing, there are some powerful features, including multi-track support. The free version covers the basics, and a $12 a month plan adds support for 4K videos, more filters and effects, and the ability to add your own brand to videos. Templates also make it easy to create videos for various social media platforms. Despite the powerful features available even in the free video editors, perhaps you do need a bit more. In that case, three applications to consider are Adobe's Premiere Pro, Cyberlink's Power Director, and Apple's Final Cut Pro for those who use the Mac OS. At $20 a month, Adobe Premiere Pro is an application that's used by professionals for television programs and motion pictures. Premiere Pro, Premiere Rush, and Adobe Express are all included, but if you're willing to spend $20 a month, you might want to consider spending $50 a month, and that will give you access to Adobe's entire Creative Cloud suite, which includes Premiere Rush, Character Animator, Media Encoder, After Effects, Photoshop, Lightroom, and Lightroom Classic, Illustrator, InDesign, Dreamweaver, Audition, and more. Sorry if that sounds a little too much like a Jinju knife commercial. Cyberlink has added two annual plans for less than $5 a month, but it also has a $140 perpetual license for PowerDirector. PowerDirector has a lot of powerful features, as you might gather from the name, but it's a choice that's pretty good for beginners and intermediate users, in addition to experienced video editors. And Final Cut Pro, that's Adobe's $300 video editing application. It's intended for professionals, but it's easy enough for newcomers to use if you have the money. There's no subscription plan, just a perpetual license, and fees for upgrading to new versions as they come along. So in getting started, you need to choose the right software. That can be challenging, but it's important to find the application that suits your needs and your budget. Consider your experience level first. If you're new to video editing, choose an application that's easy to use and has a user-friendly interface. Adobe Premiere Elements and Corel Video Studio are candidates, in addition to the apps I've already mentioned as being easy. Next, what features do you need? 
just trims and basic edits? Or do you need advanced features like motion tracking and color grading? The more complex your needs, the more you should look at apps such as Adobe Premiere Pro, Final Cut Pro, and DaVinci Resolve. Price is always a consideration. The open source applications I mentioned may suit your needs, and you can have them for a donation. Or if you're not willing to make a donation, for free. Before buying, take a look at online reviews. Best video editing software for beginners in 2023 by TechRadar provides a good overview, and I have a link to that article on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The next step involves learning how to use the software. Take 20 minutes or so to review Primal Video's beginning Canva tutorial for beginners. This also introduces Canva, an online system for creating documents, presentations, graphics for social media, and more. And more includes videos. Canva's video editing is quite basic, but it can be used for free, and it's a good introduction for beginners. Those who want access to more features and more clips can sign up for a paid version, $120 per year. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, new features and big improvements are rare in Adobe's audio editing application Audition, so this is a program I don't get to talk about very often. The 2023 update has three new features that may seem inconsequential if you're not into audio, but they are big deals for those who use Audition. Before getting to the new features, let's consider Audition's history. And this may provide some insights as to why Audition updates are so rare. First, it's audio. And audio is one of the less complex media that Adobe applications deal with. The most common functions involve trimming bits of audio from beginning or end, cutting out errors in the middle, eliminating noise, speeding up or slowing down a segment, maybe changing the pitch, standardizing levels, crossfading between clips, converting a stereo signal to mono or mono to stereo. Maybe adding a little room reverb, yeah, things like that. More complex functions might involve inverting the audio waveform. And yes, there is a good reason for wanting to do that once in a while. Reversing a track, filtering specific frequencies, and adding or removing distortion. Audio files are inherently simpler than publication files, video files, photographs, and vector images. Additionally, when Adobe acquired CoolEdit from Centrillium Software in 2002, the application had been in development for nearly a decade and was already a sophisticated application. Version 1 of Audition was essentially CoolEdit with a few bug fixes. All edits were destructive in those days. Over the years, Adobe added non-destructive editing, pitch correction, round-trip audio editing between Premiere and Audition, multi-channel editing, and virtual instrument support along with high-end audio functions like the ability to solo individual tracks. 
More recent additions brought artificial intelligence to Audition with a Photoshop-like healing brush and many tools that appeal to audio engineering professionals. So Audition is a mature application that does what recording engineers need. The TechBiter Worldwide podcast, for example, is created with Audition. A PC Magazine review says Audition is the best editor for post-production and broadcast because it includes strong audio restoration, sound removal, and noise reduction tools, has a loudness meter that's helpful for streaming services, offers useful visualization tools, and adheres to film and television broadcast standards for audio. The new features, as I mentioned at the outset, may appear to be minor tweaks, and that would be true unless you work with audio every day. If you do, these will excite you. Markers can now be added to tracks. Markers are kind of like bookmarks, and they help an audio editor find an important spot in the track. Pressing M will insert a marker at the location of the playhead. In a multi-track file, the marker will be added only on the selected track. If no track is selected, the marker will be added to the master track. And you might think that's the best thing to do, but it's definitely not. The most significant consideration with markers on the master track is that they do not move if an editor cuts a chunk of audio and closes the gap by moving the clips. Markers that are placed on tracks themselves move with the tracks so that they continue to specify the location you want to identify. Users can still drop markers on the master track, but there's really never a good reason to do so. The second new feature controls how the J, K, and L keys are used. J moves the playhead left, L moves it right, K stops the playback. Pressing J while in forward playback slows the playback. Pressing L speeds it. Repeatedly pressing J or L accelerates or decelerates the motion. This is a very useful feature when you're searching for something and don't have time to listen to the entire clip at normal speed. The problem is that in the past, the shuttle speed was doubled by each press of the J or L key. Now the user can specify that each press increases or decreases by just 0.1 or 0.5 in addition to the default 1 or even two times. The old doubling or halving change was simply too much, and being able to increase or decrease by 0.1 gives the user much better control. The process, by the way, is called scrubbing. The pitch changes during playback at a higher or lower speed, of course, but guess what? Adobe will probably use artificial intelligence to keep the pitch nearly constant in a future update. Effects can be added to tracks or individual clips, and the third major feature simplifies the process of replicating one or more effects on multiple tracks or clips. Now users can select one or more effects that have been applied to one clip or one track, and then paste the effects onto other clips or tracks. So there we have three enhancements that may not sound like much, but trust me, they are quite remarkable. Microsoft is pushing out a new default typeface for Microsoft 365 users. Is it better design? Marketing fluff? Or might it be a devious plot to sell more Microsoft 365 licenses? Well, the answer appears to be 
Yes, it is. Let's look at better design first. A case could be made that Aptos is more versatile, with seven faces ranging from light to black, and including narrow monospace and a single serif face. Compare this to a face such as Acumen Pro with 18 variants. In general, Aptos letters are slightly taller and wider than Calibri letters. That's the typeface that's being replaced. As a result, text set using Aptos will consume a tiny bit more space than the same text in Calibri. Also, both Calibri and Aptos are generally not good choices for tabular numeric data because both have what are called old-style figures. Old-style figures indicates a typeface where 3, 4, 5, 7, and 9 extend below the baseline and 6 and 8 extend above the X height. This is a presentation I like in body text, but it does create a rough haphazard look in tabular data. So maybe it's marketing fluff. A much stronger case can be made for Aptos being primarily marketing fluff. The typeface differs a little from Calibri, but not that much. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website where I've placed some examples. You'll see the upper and lower case letters side by side, Calibri on the left, Aptos on the right. The Aptos letters are almost imperceptibly taller than the Calibri letters and just slightly wider. If you're looking for significant differences, examine the uppercase C, G, and Q, as well as the lowercase A, C, E, F, G, and L. The lowercase g is one of the letters that varies considerably between typefaces. In fact, expert typographers can sometimes name a face based solely on the lowercase g. Well, then maybe it's a devious plot to sell more Microsoft 365 licenses. The strongest case can be made for that option. Those who buy into the hype will want Aptos, but then they'll find out that Aptos fonts are installed as cloud-based fonts that work only in Microsoft 365 versions of the Office products. Have an older version of Word? You won't see Aptos. Buy a standalone version of Word? You won't see Aptos. If you want Aptos, you must sign up for Microsoft 365. I opened the typeface selector in LibreOffice. It shows no entry for Aptos, but Calibri and Calibri Lite are still present. Adobe also provides cloud-based typefaces, and some of them are available to both Adobe apps and other apps on the computer. Consider Adobe's Acumen Pro with 18 variants. Some would be available only in Adobe apps, such as Photoshop and InDesign but the styles and weights most likely to be used for more general purposes, regular, italic, medium, medium, italic, and bold, can be used in any Windows application. Those who are enrolled in the Microsoft 365 Insiders program should already have Aptos. For more information on the typeface and new themes that will be included, check out Microsoft's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Not even a new typeface would have helped TechX New York in 2003. Check out 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website, as I recall the final whimper of what was once one of the grandest technology shows in the nation. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. 
There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>